This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Amen. We'll take your Bibles once again and let's turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. I have so enjoyed this time that we've been spending together in Psalm 23. I have a few messages uh, left uh, and looking forward to the things that God still has to say to us from this text. I, I really believe this year, particularly the last few months, have been a great example of the truth of Proverbs 16:9, which says, The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I chuckle a little bit when I think about the amount of time that I spent and we as a staff spent thinking and praying about all the plans that we had for the spring. We were so excited about the spring and the momentum we had as a church and all the things that we were going to do. Uh, And then the Lord said, I have a different plan. And we trust him in that. We plan our ways and we're supposed to, but the Lord directs our steps. So we feel as if we followed the direction of the Lord and God's done good things. But before this happened, and before I decided in this moment to preach Psalm 23, it was my intention to preach all year the Gospel of Luke. I think I got two or three sermons in before we switched to Psalm 23. I love the Gospel of Luke. It is, to me, the most intimate picture of Jesus. Uh, I love Jesus as the friend of sinners. There's so many things in Luke we don't see in other passages. But one of the sermons I was most excited about preaching was a message on Jesus's ministry of meal sharing. Jesus's ministry of sharing meals with people. This is something really unique to Luke's gospel. And it's significant. There's over 10 episodes in the gospel of Luke where it shows Jesus eating with various groups of people. You see him eating with religious leaders. You see him eating with notorious sinners. You see him eating in small groups and then gathering with multitudes to eat. You see him with friends, with enemies, with large groups of disciples and small groups of disciples. Jesus was constantly eating with people. As a matter of fact, it's such a significant part of the Gospel of Luke, but there's been many books written about this. One book I've read is by Robert Karras, which is called Eating Your Way Through the Gospel of Luke. It is a significant part of Jesus's ministry. And it's not just because Jesus loved food, which I believe he did. I could preach a sermon on God's gift of food. And it's not just because it was Middle Eastern culture, which it was. It was deeper than that. That Jesus, who had come to bring in the kingdom, was sharing meals as a little picture of the kingdom. That this was not just a good strategy for how to minister to people, although it was. It was always deeper than that. That when Jesus sat down at a meal with someone, he always seemed as if that's exactly where he wanted to be at that moment. He wasn't rushed. He wasn't simply trying to eat and move on and go to the next thing. He always felt that there was intention here, that there was purpose here. And there was. There is something in us that longs to eat with others and with the Lord. God has put something inside of all of our hearts that longs for those kind of moments with each other and Jesus. 
I think this is why in Acts chapter two, right as the early church began, that we see at the end of Acts two, these new believers filled with the spirit are not only coming every day to hear the apostles teaching and coming from prayer and having communion together, but it tells us at the end of Acts two that day by day they're going to the temple and day by day they're going to each other's homes to eat with glad and generous hearts. I don't think they were taught to do that. It was just these believers filled with the Holy Spirit were drawn to each other and to what happens when you sit down and eat. There's just something significant about the table and there always has been. And that seems to be what David is thinking about as he writes in Psalm 23, verse five. Look at those verses with me. I'm gonna begin with verse one and read through verse five. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now listen to verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Now, two weeks ago, uh, we looked exclusively at this verse. And we went through every word of this verse and talked about the significance of what's happening here that David, as he's trying to get us to understand what it looks like to walk the paths of righteousness with Jesus, to trust and follow him, switches metaphors. He goes from the metaphor of a good shepherd to the metaphor of a good host. And he paints this picture of a table, a lavish feast that is set before us. There's a host. The Lord is the host. The Lord is the one who has not only prepared the table and brought the food, but the Lord is the one who is there serving us. And then there's you. You, as a child of God, are the guest of honor. You show up and you see this table always filled with extravagant food and you realize there's a special occasion. Something significant is happening. The Lord walks out and he's clearly the host and he sits you at the table. And there is this oil that is there, a symbol of the gladness and the fact that God has loved you and cherished you and and chosen you and put his favor upon you. There is a cup that is overflowing, reminding us that there is an abundance with the Lord. There's always more and more and more as we sit with the Lord. And it is all, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor of the fact that the Lord is inviting us to come and to eat with him, to stop and to feast upon him. And it is in that place, as we feast upon him, that we feel welcomed by him, we feel cherished by him, and we feel loved by him. In other words, when we come and spend that time with the Lord to sit and be with him, he lavishes love on us and we feast on him. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That in and of itself is a beautiful picture. If you missed that sermon, go back and listen to it. What an incredible metaphor that God is inviting us in, as you see in the Gospel of Luke, to just sit and dine with him. But there's more to it than just that. 
I can't wait to preach verse six. I can't wait to preach that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I would say when I started Psalm 23, that was the verse I was most excited about and we'll get to it, Lord willing, next week. But I didn't wanna rush out of verse five without us starting to see a greater theme that emerges here. The theme of the table of the Lord. It is a theme throughout scripture that is significant for us. And Psalm 23 is not just giving us this metaphor of what it's like to dine with the Lord and feast on him. Psalm 23, five is pointing us beyond this table to three other tables. And I want us to walk through and look at these three tables together this morning. The first one is this. Psalm 23.5 is pointing us forward to a table in Jerusalem. A table in Jerusalem. Now, in Psalm 23.5, we looked at a couple of weeks ago that David is really remembering an episode that happened to him in 2 Samuel 17, where he is being chased by Absalom, his son, who is coming to try to destroy him and take over his throne. He's literally being chased by his enemies. And while his enemies are surrounding him, he goes into a town and finds that a feast has been prepared before him. And the text goes overboard to explain to us that there is all kinds of meats and cheeses and things to drink and breads. There is a lavish feast in the wilderness in a random location while David is surrounded by his enemies. He just stops and has a meal and the Lord has prepared it for him. And it points us forward to another moment a table in Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that Jesus, right before he died, reclined with his disciples at a table in Jerusalem. It was there, as we read in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, that Jesus served his disciples. He got on his knees and he took a towel and a basin and he washed their feet. It was there that he taught his disciples about how to love one another. He taught them about what it means to walk in intimacy with him. He taught them about the promise of the Holy Spirit. It was there that Jesus encouraged his disciples. He said, he said don't be troubled. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And plus, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And someday you will be with me for eternity. It was there in that upper room that Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17. In front of his disciples, he prayed to the Lord and prayed that God would keep them one, that God would use them, that God would protect them. This is a special moment in the life of the disciples as they once again, had they had done many times before, sat and reclined at a table with the Lord. And like Psalm 23, it was all done in the presence of enemies. Now think about that moment as Jesus sat at that table with his disciples in that upper room Right outside were enemies. And Jesus knew that. He was clear that that night he was going to be betrayed and he would be turned over to the authorities. And so it is that Jesus, knowing that right outside those doors were enemies ready to take him in and capture him, knowing that his death was imminent, in the midst of that night with all of the pain and all of the agony and all of the, uh, the awareness in his own heart that he was about to receive the very wrath of God on our behalf, taking upon himself all the sins that we have ever committed, having the Father's face turn away from him so that the Father's face might turn to us. Jesus, aware of all of that, still took the time to stop and to eat at a table in Jerusalem. 
And it was at that table that Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said to his disciples, this is my body, it's broken for you. He took a cup and he poured wine into it and he said, this is a symbol of the new covenant of my blood. Your sins are not forgiven by a bull or a ram or a lamb. It is now covered by the very blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. My body is gonna be broken. My blood is gonna be shared. Why? So that you might be brought in into right relationship with God. I am going to give my life for you. And he sits at that table, surrounded by disciples, with these symbols, and he proclaims his death. He proclaims the shedding of his blood and his resurrection. And there you get this little picture of Jesus, surrounded by enemies, feasting at a table, reclining with his disciples. And there's something in Psalm 23, verse five, that is pointing us forward to that precious moment and that table in an upper room in Jerusalem. But that table actually points us to another table. There is another table that after they sang and they prayed and they departed from that table, it tells us that it's pointing us to a table in heaven, a table in Jerusalem and a table in heaven. Luke 22 records for us that at that last supper, Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I love that phrase because it shows in the very heart of Jesus, he'd been looking forward to this. He wanted to be able to eat with them. I've earnestly desired to have this meal with you. But then he says this, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying is this, this is the last meal I'm gonna have with you right now, but this is not the last meal I'm going to have with you. We always call that table in Jerusalem the Last Supper. In reality, it was not the Last Supper. There will be another supper. What Jesus is saying is, while I am here before I suffer, this will be the last time I will eat with you. But there's coming a day in which he says that I will eat again when this moment, it says, is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What that shows us is that this table in Jerusalem was pointing us toward another table. It's the table in heaven. It's recorded for us in Revelation 19. Revelation 19 gives us a picture of all of the nations gathered together, every nation, tongue, and tribe, all believers, all of those who have chosen by faith to trust and follow Jesus Christ. Those who have received Jesus' death as the payment for their sins, they have trusted him with their life, They have entered into eternal life with him. One day, all of them will be at a table. And that that table is called the marriage supper of the lamb. You're familiar with it. Isaiah gives us some prophecies about that in 25. In Isaiah 25, he tells us that this will be a lavish feast filled with rich foods and choice aged wine. It is an incredible feast. And the feast that David experienced in Psalm 23, this surprising, unexpected, lavish feast was pointing us forward to another feast. And while Jesus is at this table in Jerusalem, he says, I want you to be reminded that there is another table. And what I love about looking at that table in Jerusalem is thinking about the fact that that table in Jerusalem was really nothing more than a rehearsal dinner. It was a rehearsal dinner. 
That wasn't ultimate. It was pointing us to something else. When you go to a rehearsal dinner, the rehearsal dinner is not the culmination of everything. No, that's the beginning of the festivities. And the rehearsal dinner prepares you for the marriage supper. And so it is that that table in Jerusalem, there was this rehearsal dinner when Jesus dined with his disciples, but he said, there is a greater feast that is coming someday, a marriage feast, and we sit here in feast now at a rehearsal dinner looking forward to the ultimate feast we will have at the marriage supper of the Lamb. In other words, all the other meals that Jesus had with his enemies and friends and large crowds and small crowds and specifically this meal that he had at a table in Jerusalem were simply a little foretaste of a table in heaven where Jesus would one day feast with all of those who are his for all of eternity. And we're reminded that the only reason we will ever be able to eat at the table in heaven is because of the table in Jerusalem. That the table in Jerusalem reminds us that Jesus shed his blood and his body was broken so that we might come and have right relationship with God. So that we might enter into an intimacy with God. That we might go back to life as God intended for it to be. That as we partake of Jesus' death and resurrection, his broken body and his shed blood, then what we're doing by partaking in that table in Jerusalem is having the confidence that we will feast with him at the table in heaven. The truth is, is that, that Jesus died so that he might anoint us with that oil of gladness and blessing and favor. Jesus died so that our cup might overflow with him, that we might have all of our sins taken away. Jesus died so that one day we might feast with our enemies now for the very first time defeated and done away with. You see, Jesus died so that someday at that marriage supper in Revelation 19, at that table in heaven, that we might feast once again with him. But the difference is this, there will be no more enemies. You see, when David feasted in 2 Samuel 17, he did so in the presence of enemies. At that table in Jerusalem, there was the presence of enemies. But at that table in heaven, all of the enemies will be defeated. And so we will eat with full rest, with full joy and full gladness because for the first time we will know that there are no enemies outside waiting for us because through the death of Jesus, he has conquered them all. And all of this is intended to fill us with incredible hope that there is a greater meal that is coming. There is a table in heaven. Why? Because part of our life with Jesus is about eating with each other and eating with him. That God has created us for a table. He's created us to enjoy that kind of fellowship with one another and with the Lord himself. But there is, there is one more table I wanna tell you about. There's a table in Jerusalem, there's a table in heaven, and there is a table in the church. There's a table in the church. Now, when I begin to read this a few weeks ago and first begin to meditate upon this, it is this passage that made me want to think more clearly about this with you. Because in 1 Corinthians 10, 21, Paul is talking about communion. Now, communion is that moment in which we as a church 
not just as individual families at home. It is an ordinance of the church. It happens when the church gathers, specifically when the church gathers. We take of a cup, we take of bread, and we remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. It is the Lord's Supper, what we call it, or communion. Now, when Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 10, 21, listen, he uses the language of Psalm 23, 5. He talks about the table of the Lord. He talks about partaking of the cup of the Lord. And then in Jerusalem, when Jesus sits down with his disciples, Jesus says, I want you to to continue to do this. And Paul says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me, that it was the Lord's intention that this supper and this table in Jerusalem would be something that the church would continue to do. Why? Because every time we do it, it reminds us of another table. You see, when we take communion, every time we take communion, we look backward and we look forward. Every time we take communion, which is called the Lord's Supper, we look back to that supper and that table in Jerusalem. And we thank the Lord that through his broken body and his shed blood and by our faith and repentance, we can have a relationship with him, not by our own works, but only by what Christ has done for us. So we hold these elements in our hand in communion and we look back and we glory and boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. But in that communion, we look forward. And we think about those who are around us and we think about that someday we're gonna experience something fuller than this, that there will be a fulfillment of this to a greater degree someday in heaven. And so every time we take communion, that table in the church, we look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So when we gather together as a church, we take communion, we look back, we look forward, and ultimately what we're saying is, This moment right here is a moment gathered together with friends and church family members in which we remind ourselves that there is a greater feast coming, that there is a greater table, that we get, as the old hymn says, a little foretaste of glory divine when we get together at that table in the church because God has wired us for those kind of meals. He has wired us to come to the table. And he has created all things in such a way that it began with this table in Jerusalem. There is this table in heaven. And in the meantime, we come to the table at the church. And by taking communion, we look back at one table. We look forward to the next table. We fill ourselves with joy and thanksgiving. And we fill ourselves with hope and confidence that there is a better meal to come. We come in that moment of communion, we confess our sins, we remember our forgiveness, and we declare the ultimate victory over our enemies. Do you know that when we take of the table in the church, we're still surrounded by enemies, not those that are sitting around us, but those who are keeping us in the heavenly places, those demonic forces, our own flesh that is keeping us from intimacy with the Lord. But what we're doing as we take of that bread and drink of that cup is we're declaring Jesus's ultimate victory over all of that enemies. That's what we do when we take communion at the table in the church. Now listen, if this message has stirred in your heart as it has in mine, and as I begin to study this, I begin to think of how significant communion is and what we're doing is just a little taste of what God has created us for. We're created to eat and to feast and to dine with one another. Then you may be tempted in just a moment to turn off this broadcast 
head to the Dollar General, get some stale crackers and some grape juice and have communion. I want to do it. I feel like doing that right now. But we're not going to. We're not going to. Because communion is an ordinance of the church. And we long and we wait for the day, hopefully just a few weeks from now, in which we will gather together again and we will take communion. And so we wait on that. We're reminded of the significance of that, but we don't do that at home. We don't do it at a camp or retreat. We do it in the context of the local church as God designed it. But let me tell you what you can do now. As we wait, and as we're reminded of the significance of the table, the first thing you can do is you can do what the believers did in Acts 2. You can gather together with some friends and some family, and you can have a feast. Now, it doesn't have to be a lavish feast. You can have deli meat and cheese, whatever. But know this, God has created you to dine with others. God has created you to sit and not be rushed and enjoy a meal and a moment as a foretaste of what he's created us for and what we will do in heaven. Can I encourage you, particularly during this time of pandemic when so many of us have failed to be together with one another, to this week initiate a meal? And it doesn't have to be lavish at all, order pizza, it doesn't matter. Just do something that gets you at the table looking forward to the good things that God is doing. Even if you're only able to do it with a certain few, if you're still concerned about your health, just have a moment to eat. And to stop and remember that God has created you for that. And it is pointing you forward to a greater feast that is one day coming. You know, one of the things I am so excited about as I drive every day past the tabernacle and I think about the Lord first giving me that vision and that desire for a building right out there that would be a place for us together. One of the primary things that motivated me to do that is the fact that I wanted a place for us to eat. One of my favorite moments of the week is our Wednesday night dinners. I love it. There's not a lot of churches that do that anymore, but I'm committed to it, and I'm committed to not only doing it, I'm committed to growing it. I want a bigger room for more people because when we get together and eat together, it's a little picture of the kingdom of God, and I love it. I love being able to just sit with you and enjoy that moment and talk in the midst of all the busyness with all of the things going on around us just to enjoy a meal together because God has created us for that. Have you ever heard the phrase, we're living between two trees? It's a, it's a helpful little word picture. It, it refers to the tree in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2 and the tree of life in Revelation 22. That Genesis 2 is a picture of life as God intended for it to be. God's people in God's place, enjoying God's presence, fulfilling God's purposes. Sin disrupted that, but one day we will go back to Revelation 22 as the story ends and we will feast again with him and enjoy his presence forever. There's a tree there and there's a tree here. We are living in between two trees and we long for that tree. Let me tell you something. We're living between two tables. We're living between the table in Jerusalem and we're living between the table in heaven. Here we are right in the middle of those two tables. And so we look back and we rejoice at what Jesus Christ did in that first table and we look forward and we allow ourselves to stop and be filled with the hope that one day something better is coming. So let me just encourage you with this. Our greatest moments 
in which we enjoy fellowship with one another and the Lord, our greatest moments of fellowship are just a taste. Someday, there's a bigger table and a better meal. So until then, be faithful, be encouraged. Don't allow all of the things of this world to cloud out the glory that is to come. Rejoice in what is coming. Have a great meal and hold on to hope. There's a better meal coming. Let's pray together. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.